0: Welcome to the One Crossing podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Amen. How's everybody doing this morning? You doing all right, Crossing Church? Hey, it is good to be in the house of the Lord with the people of the Lord. Uh, this last Wednesday we had an all-staff meeting at our Lima location and uh, John Mitchell was leading worship for that all-staff meeting and we sang that chorus together and it was like this power anthem. I mean, I'm I am claiming my family for the Lord, you know. I was just doing that all over again thinking of my children and my grandchildren. And uh, I, I hope that in this series, that's what you're experiencing. You're experiencing, hey, we're, we're, we're not, we're not going to let everything else in this world rob us from the tremendous, incredible blessings that God has given us. And uh, that's what Closed on Sunday is all about. So I want to welcome everyone that's at all of our locations all across this region. If you're inside online.tv, we're so incredibly thankful for you and uh, you know, last weekend it was the whole big Super Bowl thing. And I was looking at some of the stats from this last week's Super Bowl. 32nd commercial at the Super Bowl cost, cost $5.6 million. That's just crazy, isn't it? 102 million people watched the Super Bowl this last week. And the lowest ticket price, the day before the Super Bowl, to get into uh, to get into that. Stadium was $5,844. That was the cheapest one. The most expensive one was $46,302. And of course, the halftime show, you wanted to share that with your whole family, didn't you? Not so much, right? Not so much. So that, okay, whatever. But that was, there's no comparison to that and what we experienced at the crossing. We had 8,400 people that attended at one of our locations. We had 3,300 more that uh, watched online, but you know what? You know what the big win was. We had 90 people that were baptized into Christ in a single weekend. Your hands are probably a little tired from clapping for all that you just saw in, in that video, but it's just so awesome because you know what God is going to do to the seeds that were planted uh, and, and watered in that uh, that ba- that baptistry. That's 198 baptisms in the last five weeks. Preached on baptisms, 198 people in the last five weeks. It's incredible, you know. And unlike the Super Bowl, it didn't cost you a thing because God's grace is free. Right? Not cheap. It's not cheap, but it's free. Well, before the Super Bowl weekend, we had a series called Closed on Sunday, right? And God has really been taking ground. He's been taking ground in our lives because what we're understanding are these 10 crucial foundation stones uh, to our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're learning that that happens in community, and that's weekly community. I know it's really easy for us to to just drift here and start thinking, well, you know, I, I go to church regularly if I go once a month or if I go twice a month, but this is how God intended for us to live out our faith. He intended for us to live it out in community and these critical components of our faith are experienced in community and so we need to make this a priority. Other stuff, that we do, we need to be closed on Sunday with that. And we need to be available for the Lord and let him speak to us and let him work inside of us. And this needs to be our starting place. Those 10 foundation stones are found in the book of Acts where the church is born, Acts 2.41 to 2.47. And so in these last weeks, we've learned about some of these. We're about halfway through. We've learned about baptism and how that starts out uh, our faith. And look at the response. Look at the response from just that, right? And then we discussed church authority, that there's a there's a whole authority system that God set up. We discussed the power of the word of God, and how it can reach in our hearts and change our hearts and lives, our destinies, our futures. Then we talked about the delivery system of that word, right? And then uh, Clayton talked about the true meaning of fellowship. We, we explored all these one another's that are in uh the New Testament about uh, about how we do that to seek unity and humility and love right today we're going to talk about the next in that series uh that's in Acts 242 and that's the meaning of communion we read that in Acts 242 it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so apostles is that authority. Teaching is the word of God, right? And then the delivery system. And to the fellowship. And now we are to the breaking of bread and a prayer. So breaking of bread, when the term breaking of bread is used, is talking about communions, talking about the Lord's supper. And the reason is because the term breaking is there. Because if you, if you go home, unless you have some really dated bread... You don't break it, you tear it, right? The only time you break bread is if you're talking about something like a cracker, right? And the reason that we say break bread in communion is because it was to be done with unleavened bread, bread that is baked without yeast in it. And so it comes out like a cracker. And that's what it means when it says that Jesus broke bread. Now, communion is one of two sacred observances that we do every week at the crossing. You just experienced 90 of one of them. Because baptism is a sacred experience. Communion is also a sacred experience. So you're saying, well, what are you, what are you saying, Jerry? Are you saying that like worship's not sacred and, and the sermon's not sacred? And No, I'm saying that there are two things that are separated from all other things that we do in you know, a worship experience at the crossing, and they are sacred. That means that they, be, they become a highway of God's grace, okay? Very specific highway of God's grace. And I'll tell you why. Because they connect us with blood, the blood of a sacrifice. That's why they're sacred. So one of those is baptism, and one of those is Communion. So why are you talking about blood? Well, look at Hebrews chapter nine, verse 22. It says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. They're talking about uh, the Jewish law, the Jewish tradition in the temple and the tabernacle before it. And then it says this, listen to these words. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. When it says that unless you do this, this won't happen, happen, what that means is it's an essential. You cannot say, no, this is not important. This is essential to my faith. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. In other words, if I want forgiveness, blood will have to be shed. In the Old Testament, we see that, right? Incredible pictures in the Old Testament of the shedding of blood connected to this idea of forgiveness of sins, right? So when we're talking about baptism, we're actually talking about this idea of blood and the shedding of blood, why? Well, because baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? And where did Jesus shed his blood? When he died on the cross. And if we're identifying with his death on the cross as we go down into the water, we're uniting with his dying as we're under the water, his burial, coming up out of the water resurrection, right? There's a sacred highway there, a highway to God's grace there, and it comes through blood, uniting with the death of Christ. We do the same thing with communion. Also picture of the death of Christ, the blood of Christ, and we'll get in that uh, in, in in a little bit. So when I'm talking about baptism, that is an initiation process. That is the first time that I literally come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ in the water of baptism. And when I'm talking about communion, I am staying in contact with the source of my salvation. Now I want you to hear what I just said, the source of my salvation. Baptism is not the source of your salvation. Communion is not the source of your salvation because your salvation is not found in a what. It's found in a who, and that who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who gives you salvation, but the place where you come in contact with Jesus Christ, specifically the blood of Jesus Christ, without which there is no forgiveness of sins, are in these two places. And these two places are distinct for two different sets of people. People that wanna come into a relationship with Christ and people who are in a relationship with Christ. And this goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. As a matter of fact, you don't have to go, uh, you, you go all the way back to the third chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter three. Because in Genesis chapter three, we read about Adam and Eve, right? And Adam and Eve sinned against God. They did specifically the one thing that God told them not to do. And then their eyes were opened, the Bible says. They knew that they were naked. They went and found some big fig leaves to try to cover their nakedness in an inappropriate, you know, it wasn't gonna work. And God found them and God confronted them and then God judged them and sin entered the world. But in the midst of this horrible experience of the ripping of the fellowship between God and man, there was one other thing that happened. We read about it in Genesis chapter three, verse 21, and that is the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. This is the first reference to the centrality of blood for a sin covering. Because it says that he made garments of skin. In order to have a garment of skin, what do you have to do? You have to kill an animal, which means the first sacrifice that was made for the shedding of blood was by God, who killed animals to give them something to cover their nakedness. And what we're gonna find out in the scripture is the last sacrifice that was given was by God of his own son to cover our sins. So when Jesus says, I'm the beginning and the end, I am the first and the last, he's talking about among other things being the sacrifice the first and the last sacrifice. In Romans chapter six, it tells us that we unite with Christ in his death. And that is where his blood was shed, right? When we look at communion, we are reminded of what Jesus said when he instituted the Lord's supper. This is the blood of the new covenant, shed for many for the remission of sins. Let me tell you something metaphysically, spiritually speaking, there is blood in that water. There is blood in that wine. When we take communion, spiritually speaking, there is blood in there. Spiritually speaking, when you get down in that water, you're connecting with the blood of Christ. And that's why there's forgiveness of sins in the act. It's not that baptism is so special, it's that Jesus is special right? And what he's doing is he's bringing supernatural quality to a very ordinary thing. I mean, that's just water over there. All of our locations, just water. It's just a very ordinary, the most ordinary of things, right? But inside this ordinary thing, there is this passing from one reality to another reality, from one spiritual reality to a new spiritual reality. In communion, We're just looking at wine, right? We're just looking at wine. But in this very simple thing, this very usual thing, what God is doing is he's spiritualizing it so that we remember and reconnect with this new reality that we've been given in Jesus Christ. Well, where does it come from? Where does communion come from? Well, we already looked at Genesis and we saw this first of the sacrifices that was made and then we read all the old testament you can read the entire old testament and it is replete with the idea of sacrifice with the killing of animals and shedding their blood right about 1500 years before Jesus is born in Egypt the nation of Israel is enslaved by the Egyptian people and God through Moses is going through this process of delivering Israel out of the hands of Egypt, right? And there are 10 plagues, and the 10th plague is the, the death of the firstborn. And there was this remedy for the death of the firstborn, and this remedy was Passover. It was the last plague, the death of the first, uh, firstborn. But if you participated in Passover, then that plague did not have any authority over you and your life, right? And because of that final plague, Pharaoh let the Israelites go from their captivity. So what do we remember in Passover? Well, I would imagine there's not very many of us that are of Jewish descent. But people who are Jewish in Passover, they call it Pesach. When they, when they take Passover, they're looking back to their delivery from slavery from bondage out of the hands of Egypt. And there were some specific things that were required in Passover. We're gonna go through those in a little bit. And that had been celebrated for 1500 years when Jesus celebrated it with his disciples in the upper room. But when Jesus celebrated, it, he changed its meaning. Now I'm saying that a little tongue in cheek because Jesus really didn't change its meaning. What he did, was revealed the meaning that it always was supposed to have. It was just supposed to be revealed in that moment. See, all the Jews were looking back, thinking about their delivery from the slavery of Egypt. What Jesus did was he talked about their delivery from the slavery of sin and the delivery from the slavery of death, the finality of death. When he changed its meaning in that upper room, In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26, the Apostle Paul recounts this. And this is what he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. There it is. He broke it because it was matzah. It was that hard bread. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's actually looking forward to what's gonna to happen to him the next day because his body is gonna to be torn up, not backward. Not looking for that 1,500-year-old story of deliverance from slavery, but looking at what's coming right in front of him and right in front of them. And in the same way, verse 25, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in what? In my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Wow. I thought we were remembering something else. I thought we were remembering the blood of a one-year-old lamb that was slain and, and how blood was put on the doorposts in the lintel of houses so that, you know, that there wouldn't be this, this plague wouldn't happen. The firstborn wouldn't die. So we can look back now and now you and I, we can look back and we can see this is always about what it was. This is what would come. This is what would be in the future, our future, or, you know, for those of us that accepted Christ, our past now. You see, the Israelites thought they were supposed to look backward, but it was actually looking forward, and we see it everywhere. God himself says through Moses at Passover that when that blood's applied, he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to your life, the doorpost and the lintel of the doorway of your heart, God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. This is how you are remedied from the inevitable judgment that comes upon us all. It's because he sees the blood and then he passes over you. This is why it was applied to a doorpost and a lintel, not just signifying the doorway of our hearts, but also signifying the shape of a cross, the way that Jesus would die, and how his blood was applied to the vertical and to the horizontal. And it became our pathway to this highway of grace. This is why the lamb at Passover had to be one-year-old male like Right at the right at the beginning of its maturity, one year old, male, and without any spot, blemish, or any other thing, because it was symbolic of the Lamb of God. And that's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming as he began his ministry down to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Because our sins are forgiven. Through the blood of Christ, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, but that blood has been shed and that forgiveness has come to us. And that's why communion is so important because it is a highway of God's grace. It's sacred because it involves the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is why it is the central thing we do in a worship service. Some of you men, what? It's like, really? No, it is. You think it's the sermon? No. You think it's the worship? No. You think it's the fellowship? No. We are here for one thing primarily. When we attend church, we are here for one thing primarily, and that is to remember what Jesus Christ, our savior did for us, and to connect with that. Those, That's the highway of grace, okay? And that's why it's sacred. So with that in mind, ask yourself, well, what am I supposed to do? If this is what is afforded to me, what am I supposed to do? Well, there are specific instructions that go with communion. Just like there are specific instructions that go with baptism, there is with communion. And the thing about communion is it actually comes with warnings. That's a warning label, and some of you may not know that, but we're going to read it together in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven 27 to 31. It says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, that's communion, in an unworthy manner, unworthy manner, we got to figure out what that means because of what it says next, will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Wow a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread or drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment. There's another word that that could, could be put there. It's the same exact word, and that's the word damnation on himself. That is a warning. That is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep. That means died. This is serious stuff we're talking about. The highway of God's grace is not a highway to be taken lightly. This is a sacred thing that we're doing. And then it says, but if we judged ourselves, if we judged ourselves, that's self-examination, we would not come under judgment. So tucked inside of this scripture is actually what you're supposed to do. Now, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to examine yourself. I don't know if you notice at the crossing, every time we have communion, we put a slide up on the screen. And it's this slide. that you're, you're, This is what you read. So let a man examine himself and so let him partake. In other words, we need to do an assessment. So communion at other churches can be either closed or open. All right? I want to explain that. For, uh, for uh, communion to be closed means that you don't get to examine yourself, somebody else examines you. And you've probably been in a church service before, many of you have, where you actually have to stand in line and there's somebody up front who actually gives you the emblems, right? That means you're examined by them. You are judged by them. You are determined by them as to whether or not you are worthy to take communion, whether that's a worthy or an unworthy manner. But that's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say let the church examine you or let some guy examine you or let somebody that has just as much sin as you do examine you. What the Bible says is let a man examine himself, right? Because nobody knows the heart of man except for God and that man himself. Nobody knows but God and you as a person. So, this is why closed communion is wrong. Because the only person that stands in the gap for you and can judge you rightly is Jesus Christ Himself. All right? So, open communion means I don't do any examination. Open communion means just do what you want, really doesn't matter. That is super dangerous. Because how easy would it be to take communion in an unworthy manner? Now, let me explain unworthy manner. There's no such thing as anyone on earth that is worthy to take communion. None of us, none of us are worthy to take communion. So this is not about being worthy. This is about treating communion honorably in a worthy manner. Treat it honorably. Realize the gravity, the weight of what you're doing. And this is what self-examination looks like, okay? If I'm going to examine myself, I'm going to do two things. Number one, I'm going to look backward. I'm going to look backward. I'm going to look backward, and I'm going to see Jesus on the cross. I'm going to remember what he did, because that's what he told me to do. And as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. I remember Jesus. I remember the cost. Early on I said grace is free, but it's not cheap, right? I remember the cost of my salvation. Secondly, I look at my own life and I go, okay, how far off am I? (laughs) Now there is never gonna be a time when you take communion and you're gonna say, I'm good, God. There's never gonna be that time. There's never gonna be a time where you honestly take communion and you think you're all right because we are never all right. And that's the beauty of communion. The beauty of communion is it puts me up to Jesus Christ and it reminds me of the areas of my life that need to change. This is self-examination. So what it does is it refreshes my desire to be more like Jesus and less like me, hear me? All right, and I need to do that. I need to do that. I need to have regular contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. This is not something I just do once in my life when I go into the waters of baptism, I need that regularly. I need to come in contact with that saving, forgiving, powerful blood, you know, because it covers me and it saves me and it cleanses me and it gives me confidence. And I I need baptism for that connection and starting this intimate personal relationship with Jesus. But I need communion to remain in that relationship. And that's why the Bible tells us that we are to do it weekly. Acts chapter 20, verse six, that we're to do it weekly because I need that weekly reminder. It helps me, it helps you. If you didn't do anything else right in the service, if you took communion and you examined yourself, it was worth it. Now listen, communion was never designed to be taken by yourself. It was designed to be taken in community. As a matter of fact, the word communion and the word community are basically the same word, right? Passover, 1500 years before Jesus, all the way up until Jesus, was to be taken in community. In 1 Corinthians 11, 33 and 34, listen to what it says about community. Then, my brothers, when you come together, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. And this is not talking about dinner. Because of what it says in verse 34, if anyone's hungry, you should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. So we're talking about this specific memorial service of taking communion to remember Jesus. And then he says, and when I come, I will give further instructions. Now let's dive down just a little bit deeper. There's something deeply personal going on. In communion, right? Have you ever noticed that? When people are taking communion, it gets very quiet. People bow their heads, they're holding the emblems in their hand, they have some prayer time of their own. And it's almost like I'm separating myself from everybody else. I'm just kind of having this vertical time with God. But actually, actually, something wonderful is rising up in the community of believers because you're supposed to take it in community. Why? This is like actually our purest moment. Of, of unity in the church when we take communion. You know, when it comes to everything else we do in church, come on. Mildred, I didn't like that song. It was too loud. Those drums and the spinny lights and the, that fog, like, <coughs> you know, I didn't like that. Mildred, I didn't like that because that sermon was boring. It just went on and on. He never shut up. Went on too long. Uh, but communion is not that communion is where we all agree. Jesus died for me and I need to live for Jesus. Maybe the reason we have trouble living for Jesus in our daily lives is because we are not regularly reminding ourselves about who he is and what he did in taking that communion in community. When we start saying, hey, I can go to church once a month or twice a month, you know what we're doing? You know the the situation we're putting ourselves in because we're not setting aside that time weekly like it's prescribed in God's word? That's dangerous. Finally, I wanna take you through a moment. One day in the life of Jesus, Jesus' ministry spanned three years. But when you put the Gospels together, you'll actually see just, I mean, there's a lot of days, but this is just one day in the life of Jesus. And it culminates in a teaching on communion, okay? So I want you to look at this day of the life with me, okay? And it begins in the morning. It's a beautiful morning at the Sea of Galilee. The sun rises, and uh, no sooner is Jesus up from sleep that someone comes and tells him that John the Baptist has been beheaded, his cousin that would not be a good way to start your day, would it? Would be hard to hear that. And before long, before that day has worn on hardly at all, 70 people that Jesus sent out with the gospel are coming back over the hills and 20,000 other people are following them. They wanna meet Jesus. They wanna hear Jesus speak. And I can imagine in Jesus's humanity, he probably really didn't wanna preach that day because he was dealing with this heavy news, but he put himself aside And these 20,000 people came and there were so many that there was no way they could all hear him. And so he got in a boat and one of the fishermen rowed the boat out just a little bit. So it became his pulpit and his voice could carry across the water and everyone could hear him. Everyone heard him preach. And after he was done preaching, he told his disciples, hey, let's get into this boat and let's go to the other side of the lake because I need some alone time. But the people weren't done hearing Jesus yet. And so as he, they were going across the lake, all the people were walking around the lake. And when Jesus got out of the boat, there's still 20,000 people there. And Jesus is like, well, I can't get away from them. So he spent the whole day teaching them, healing them, encouraging them all day long, into evening. And as the evening came, People were hungry. They needed something to eat. And Jesus told his disciples, you give them something. I've been pouring out all day. You give them something to eat. And all they could find was one kid's lunch with five loaves and two fish. And Jesus took that lunch and he blessed it. And he fed 20,000 people with it. And there were 12 basketfuls left over when he was done. I know you go, that's a feeding of 5,000. That's just the men, not the women or the children. And then he sends his apostles back in the boat. You go on back, I'll get back another way. They get out in that boat and a storm comes up and they can't get back to shore. They're worried and in the middle of the night, they're looking out and they see something on the water and they're trying to figure out what it is. And it's Jesus walking on water, coming to the boat. Peter goes, oh my, bid me come out and walk on the water with you. And As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, He walked on the water, but as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, he sank. Jesus got him back in the boat, stilled the water, got him on shore. By that time, the sun was rising. And guess what? Those 20,000 people were back on the other side of the lake waiting for breakfast. What are you going to do for breakfast, Jesus? Jesus says, here's what I'll give you for breakfast. And he preached a sermon on the bread of life. And that's where I'm going this 24 hour period in Jesus's life is the sermon on the bread of life. Because when he's done with this sermon, all 20,000 of them leave. All 70 of them leave. And the only people that are left are the 12. Look at John 6:48 to 58 to find out why they left. Jesus says these words, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, wow, has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. But they didn't understand. And they left. Matter of fact, their words were, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? But you understand. Every one of you, in all of our locations, online, inside, and dot to you understand. Because when we take communion, you are partaking of the body and the blood of the Lord. And through it is a highway of grace that leads all the way to the gates of heaven. We cannot look at what we do here in this place every week and let it slip down further and further on our priority list. We're different now. If we came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are not the same people that we used to be. Our priorities are different than they used to be. And Jesus Christ is our priority. And that means we need to be closed on Sunday. If Jesus made us his priority, we must respond by making Jesus our priority. That's weighty stuff. But I don't want anyone to walk out of any of our locations or hit the escape button on your computer without knowing that this is communion. This is why it's central. This is why it's critical. This is why it needs to be taken in this particular manner because Jesus Christ, he earned it. We're moving to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.